A big new study out of the UK and the US says that for companies who have gone to the four-day work week, it works. It works for the workers. It works for the company. And in many cases, no revenue is lost. Yet many still oppose this idea. And we wonder why. Run with Rob. We met a man who is getting ready to run from Saskatchewan to Ontario to raise funds and awareness for something called CMV. We learned today about something called the anti-inflammatory or the Mediterranean diet. Apparently it works wonders and doesn't suck. And after Greg managed to weasel his way in somewhere over the weekend, we had a conversation about the times that we successfully smooth talk our way into or out of a situation. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, February 22nd podcast for The Start. I could just feel the wind exiting the sails as I read that wind chill when I got the notification yesterday, extreme cold warning. I know it's still not even March. But man, we just talked about yesterday feeling the the itch is starting to make its way in to, to let's get a, let's go away from winter, <laughs> and then it's almost like a slap in the face reminder. We're you're not done with us yet, McGarry. At least there was What's no it? wind. Yeah. To start the morning, that's yeah. that's the most positive thing I can say, Loren. I was just gonna say, what's the wind chill at the Forks again? At the Forks, it's minus 32. Oh, At the airport, okay. it's minus 44. Okay. I was thinking of the kids, you know, with yep. their eyes always oh, on the right. temperature. Minus 44. I know they don't go by the Forks in Winnipeg. They go by the... Sorry, they don't go by the airport in Winnipeg. They go by the Forks. So they're nowhere near hitting that threshold. But mm. in theory... At the airport, they are one degree out. So I'm just checking a couple other weather stations now to see how close we are. <laughs> what about the uh, moosometer? What's uh, Moose have to say this morning? <laughs> oh, he's hilarious. He just he looks at he hasn't even looked close to the door. Like he hasn't walked past it. He's not interested. You can tell from the inside. Really? Going out. Well, he hasn't tried to go out yet. So that's oh. my assessment. Wow, that's interesting. Okay, well, we we salute our listener Gary, who's uh, who texts us every morning. And uh, when he's out walking his dog, and he's out there, right? He's out there, as far as I can tell. Just a tad chilly out this morning, he says. He's got his headlamp on. He's got his puppers with him. He's got a jacket on. So, yeah, good on you, Gary, for getting out there each and every morning. That is not easy to do when it's minus 30. So with that, you know, I've I've got my grumbles out on that, and now I need uh, something to make me smile, Mackling. You promised something fun to start the day. All right. So on March 6th, the Winnipeg Jets are going to give away 15,000 Kyle Connor bobbleheads. For the first game of the season, the Jets gave away uh, free toques to everyone in attendance, courtesy Canada Life. And the Jets have also given away fanny packs in an effort to engage fans and sell more tickets. So teams do this. They've got unique ways of engaging their fans and encouraging them to get excited about certain things. Well, last night at Virginia Tech, it was a magical night for NCAA men's basketball fans and Loren, bacon lovers. Now, we got to get this here. After Jordan Miller missed that free throw, the crowd's going nuts. Here's why. If he misses the second one, everybody in this house gets free bacon. Bacon for everybody! <laughs> yes. 
sizzled up in the frying pan. <laughs> the Hokies six and one all time when the fans win bacon. How about that? Oh, that is so good. I love it when there are giveaways at games and people lose their mind like that. Like, hey, bacon's a great giveaway. So good on them. But secondly, nothing makes me laugh harder than when you say you're at a Jets game and you're at the Canada Life Center and all of a sudden the guy comes out with the T-shirt gun or something or whatever they're giving away. And there's these people who've paid like $400 to sit in their seats and they're like, oh my God, get up off your seat for this free (laughs) T-shirt. Like it defies logic. I love it. People go over the top for the free T-shirt. And how about Brandon Wheat King's games? I think they still do it, but I know when I was growing up and, and even when I was a little bit older and going to Wheat King's games, if the Wheat King's got uh, more than six or more goals, you got free pancakes. And so the Wheat Kings would, you know, be hanging around five goals and the crowd would start chanting at Keystone Centre, we want pancakes, we want pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so at Hokies men's basketball games, what happens is Smithfield Foods gives away free bacon to all fans in attendance when the opposition misses two consecutive free throws. Last night, they gave away bacon at Cassell Coliseum for the eighth time in the history of the program, but only for the second time, the Hokies lost yeah. 76-70 to the University wow. of Miami Hurricanes. Yeah. So they got jinxed. They did. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but free bacon. Uh, really, how can anybody lose? In on what that front? form? Like, were they just hanging, handing out bacon strips? Was it candied bacon? <laughs> I'm gonna guess. I don't know for sure, and so I'm gonna have to research this to give you a definitive answer. But I'm going to guess you got a coupon for like a package of bacon from the store. Yeah, I, I don't think they're bringing bacon to every game in the because- off chance because this has happened so infrequently because. It's very rare that you clearly that uh, player is going to miss two free throws in a row, and so what it does is it just when the player misses his first three free throw, the fans, you know, the anticipation of free uh, bacon has the uh, the fans in a frenzy, as you heard. So plus their bacon on the idea that you're not going to cash ah. in that coupon. <laughs> <laughs> Did you craft that like right from the start? Right off, as soon as you started talking about like, do you think they hand out bacon? I was like, no, they're bacon on you not cashing in that coupon. I just couldn't get it in in time. Often I Google puns, I'll admit it. I don't have them on top of my head, but this one I did. Excellent work. Excellent work. And thanks for bringing that to our attention, Mackling. I had no idea. And by the way, if you're curious to know what a hokey is. I am. Their mascot is it's basically just a turkey. They call it a hokey bird. For fans unfamiliar with the Tex mascot, uh, the much-beloved bird is an orange and maroon turkey, but it's called a hokey bird, hence the name, the nickname Hokies. So I always thought that was a dumb name for a university team. It doesn't exactly strike fear into no. the heart of your opponent. No. Lots of great names, but also, you know, lots of poor and uh, not very fearful names. A UK study found lots of benefits to a four-day work week. What are your latest feelings on the idea? So we'll look at those results in a moment. But this stems from something we first learned about yesterday on CJOB that shows a three-day weekend might not be a rarity in the future. In what was billed as the largest study of companies moving to a four-day work week, researchers found workers had greater job satisfaction, better sleep, less stress, and improved 
mental health. Shifting to a four-day work week didn't just benefit employees. The study from the University of Cambridge, Boston College, and other researchers showed most of the 61 companies that participated intend to keep the change in place, finding that Revenue stayed the same and even grew in some cases. They also found Loren a 57% drop in the likelihood of employees quitting over the same time a year earlier. So the people are happier, the revenue stayed the same, and your retention is clearly stronger. So Derek Elliott is a partner and co-founder at Brandish Marketing right here in Winnipeg. And he spoke to Richard and Schuyler on the news yesterday and revealed that Brandish as a marketing firm, has actually been doing this for over a year. For us, it was just about listening to what our team members were going through at the time. Uh, for us, we implemented this you know, near the, I guess, what people could put in air quotes, the tail end of COVID. Um, we were, I believe, midway through 2021, seeing that burnout was becoming an issue and that there was an opportunity because we had a culture of flexibility and we had a culture of work from home or work remotely even potentially before COVID that we wanted to try something different and and see if maybe we could make our team's life a little bit better. So Elliot says they didn't just cram a five-day work week into four days. They had regular work days with no changes to wages. So keep that in mind. They didn't change wages. They didn't cram more work into fewer days. And he explains how it worked. We saw a lot of stronger relationships with managers, a lot of feelings of recognition or increases in overall engagement, willingness to go out and talk about uh, our company in a positive way. So uh, many companies will call that a net promoter score. Uh, That went up. We saw increases in alignment, happiness, uh, mental health, physical wellness. I've anecdotally had team members come up to me and say that it's really enforced their ability to start prioritizing and investing in their relationships. And that felt really good to hear, especially as we're coming out of a time period where I think a lot of us felt more isolated than we wanted to be. All of these things impact work well. And I think what we're seeing in these studies is, again, what we saw at Brandish, that overall business performance didn't suffer. It actually increased despite uh, not necessarily working that extra day, our team members were doing better work, feeling better about their work. So if all of a sudden your workplace came up to you and said, we're switching to a six-day work week, what impact do you think that might have on morale, on your productivity, on your willingness to work at that particular business? How quickly would you be looking for another job? I would say for a lot of us, it would be like really damn quick, like yesterday. So why wouldn't this all make sense to me is what I'm trying to say. A four day work week in terms of retention, in terms of mental well-being, in terms of productivity, you know, you spend so much time in your vehicle and, uh, you know, on lunch breaks and uh, not doing very much, period, that when you take away a day of of non-productive time, Loren, I can't see how this doesn't work. Now, once again, I know we're going to get inundated with text messages that this isn't going to work for my job. This isn't going to work for, you know, uh, most most people. But I, it's working for a lot of people. And as I said, th- the results of this study do not surprise me one little bit. Yeah, we have Tom texting to say he's been working four days 
per week for the last 10 years and will never go back. He's doing that four-day work week, has been for 10 years. And I and I, I really can't think of a place where it doesn't work. It's just that we're, we're putting up this idea that, oh, I, I'm in an industry where it doesn't make sense. The challenge would be if you're in, you know, one of those a company where you're talking to people in multiple time zones and it's national or if it's uh, international and people are trying to get a hold of you and you're trying to explain, I don't work Mondays or I don't work Fridays. That that could be difficult, but people can adjust. And I cannot think really of any workplace, and I'm just trying to talk this through out loud live on air, where it doesn't work. I, I think we just decide, oh, well, what, what would we do about weekends? Well, the weekends become something different. You know, you and I and Greg or Brett would work Monday to Thursday, Somebody else would work Thursday to Sunday as opposed to Wednesday to Sunday. Or in in restaurants, it would be like you work Tuesday to Friday. Somebody else works Thursday to Monday. There's all sorts of businesses that have Monday, Tuesdays off. We've adjusted when we've added Sundays to our shopping schedule. Remember, it wasn't so long ago that Sundays, oh, you never worked. How would we manage? And we managed and then we found that we regretted it or didn't like it when things weren't open on Sundays. So there's all sorts of ways to adjust. I'm not really sure I get the 30% plus people... Uh, if that's the results of our question of the day, I'm trying to look at the results, Brett, who don't support this. What were the actual numbers in the end? So, f- so far at CJOB.com, we have uh, 47, hang on a second here, 47.95% say I'm all for it and always have been. 34% now, 34% say I'm still against it. And uh, 18% say I was once skeptical, but I'm coming around to it. I wonder of those 34% who are against it, are against it for other people. As in, it won't work for me, therefore, why should you get to do it? Yeah. Yes. That's yeah, what yeah. I, I, that, I, they're either thinking it doesn't work for them or they're annoyed. <laughs> kind of like, you know, there was the percentage of people when people got to work from home. And I understand that. There was lots of industries in COVID where you could not work from home. You can't work at home in the hospital. You can't work at home in a restaurant. You can't work at home in construction. I get that. And there was a percentage that thought, well, it was annoying when people were at home. Yeah. Like to hear Brandish move to this model and didn't make you work longer hours to accompany or to accommodate for that extra day and no change to wages. I like the idea of, 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 of take, just knocking off a day of work for the same pay. Hello. Gary says, is it fair to the taxpayers to have public servants worse, work less? Gary, the, here's the bottom line. The research shows productivity did not go down. Feel free to weigh in on our text line at 204-780-6868 and our question of the day at cjob.com. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Lauren's going to sit this segment out. Want to smooth talk your way into winning some Winnipeg Jets tickets? On our text line at 204-780-6868, we got tickets for Tuesday's game against Los Angeles at Canada Life Centre. And Greg, this has to do with something you managed to talk yourself into over the weekend. Well, the person on the other side of the negotiation was also very amiable. And it was a situation where I went somewhere and I didn't have any cash. There was an admission being charged to a curling match I wanted to go and watch. And I showed up, and as is typical, I didn't have any cash on me. There was a charge at the door, and I was like, I don't have any cash. Um, are you going to let me in, or do I have to leave? Do I have to watch this online in my car in the parking lot? No, the lady said, well, she said, uh, do you plan to uh, purchase any food or beverage whilst here? <laughs> I said, absolutely, I do. She says, well... 
if you promise to purchase more than your fair share of food and beverage, then uh, I think we can make a deal. So that's what we did. We agreed that I would purchase more than my fair share of concessions in order to offset the fact that I did not pay my admission fee. How did you pay for the food and drink? Well, they had Interact at the uh, at the bar, and they had Interact in the, for the kitchen, but not at the front door to take the admission. <laughs> okay, well, that, that seems like maybe they, there's a there's a an infrastructure situation there. I would concur. Now, it's not regular that they charge admission to these things. It's sort of a one-off based okay. on the, uh, you know, on the event. But uh, yes, uh, in today's day and age, when you can plug in uh, something called a cube, I think it's called the cube, and you just put it in, and people can swipe and tap their cards. It might be a worthwhile investment. Anyway, yeah. it all worked <laughs> I'm just nitpicking. And I was well fed. So here's what we need from you at 204-780-6868, a time that you talked your way into or perhaps out of a situation. Or you know what? If you want to go the opposite direction, a time that you tried to talk your way into something and failed and it blew up in your face, tell us a story for a chance to win those Jets tickets. Jeff Braun, why don't we start with you, sir? Greg, that's going to be me in November at Canada Life Centre telling the guy at the door, hey, I'm going to buy five Springsteen T-shirts. You just got to let me in the door, man. <laughs> did you get the code? Oh, what? Yes, I did get the code. Okay. But that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> okay. Uh, that just means it'll be even a more crushing defeat when it sells out before I can oh, get tickets. Oh, jeez, poor Jeff Braun. <laughs> Three hours and eight minutes and counting before Bruce Springsteen tickets go on sale. Uh, my best story is one where it blew up in our face, and it wasn't really me. It was a buddy of mine. When we were teenagers, when we were 17 years old, we would spend uh, many of our Saturdays driving around the Altona area and all the little towns around looking for a beer vendor that would sell us a case of beer underage. So what you need is for someone to not ask you for ID, right? So we were at one spot, and we always send in our tallest guy, figuring, well, he's the tallest. They'll think he's 18. And he comes out empty-handed, and to his credit, he told us the whole story. All he had to say was, they asked for ID, and what could you do? You can't get it then, right? But he says they asked for ID, and he said no, and they said, well, when's your birthday? And we're born in 76, and he's not the best at math. And instead of saying 1974, he said 1979. <laughs> and they said, wouldn't that make you 13 years old? <laughs> at which point, he did, which point he did turn around and just sheepishly walked out the door. Oh, no. And we had a good laugh over that. So. Attaboy. Attaboy. Cameron Poitras, what about you? Well, I'm not very uh, persuasive. Um, I usually, like whenever I've, I've tried to be, I usually cave very quickly at the first um, – uh, at the, like the first uh, situation where the person will be like, give me an, uh, a look or like a, or question me at all. I usually came pretty, pretty quickly after that. Uh, but there was one time it worked for me. I had a buddy and my brother when I was working out in, in, in BC uh, came in for an Eric Church concert in Kamloops. And after the concert, we were like, okay, we'll go and we'll go to a, a bar afterwards and, and keep the night going. So anyways, there was only one place open in all of Kamloops. That town is like, it's like dead at like 8.30 on the weekend, except for this one place. And uh, there was the after party from the concert there. It was packed. Uh, and again, nothing else was open. So I went up to the... I went up to the the bouncer, the guy at the door, and I said, "Listen, I'm uh, I work for media. I showed him my card at the at at the um, uh, for my the radio station I was working at, and I showed him my card. And I said, "Listen, I'm at I'm I'm covering this. This is a this is a big event, Eric Church, um, and I'm and I'm covering the the whole entire situation." The guy looked at me, looked at the card. He's like, "All right," and he says, "Oh, and these are uh, my my three coworkers here. We're all covering it as well." I read, "All right," 
let us in. And the line was like 45. The guy said the line was like an hour and a half wait. So we got we got right in. That's the only time that's ever worked for well me. It's done. never happened once uh, before or, or again. But um, I felt pretty good that time. There you go. Yeah, victory indeed. Yeah. I, for me, I, it's not so much about the... The smooth talking that got me in, it was the fact that I essentially talked my way out of uh, because I was an idiot. It's, I think this was like six or seven years ago. I randomly, I was sitting at the pub at the Grove, sitting at the bar top, had some liquid courage, and I decided to pull this person up on Facebook Messenger, and I asked her out on a date. I had no business asking this woman out, one of the most gorgeous women I'd ever, I've ever seen. And she said Yes. And I was sitting there with my friends, and I, th- and I said, she said yes, what do I do now? Like, I, I usually don't get to this stage of the, of the game. <laughs> so um, I actually sought some advice from a friend who has much, had much better, much greater success with the women's than I do. And he gave me, like, a game plan, because I knew it would be, I would be nervous and would screw it up. And as it turns out, like, I followed the plan, but the problem is I was so, it wasn't me. And she could see that. I think she saw right through my BS, and that was it. I, there was the one date. There was a, f- a second one that was more of a courtesy, where I think she intended to tell me to get lost, but she couldn't pull the trigger, so I got the text message the next day. But, um, yeah, so I, I, I asked her out. She said, yeah. All I had to do was be myself, and instead I was not. She said yes to Brett, not other different guy Brett. exactly not exactly. other guy on the other side of the uh, book uh, of the bookcase feeding you lines <laughs> like Newman to Kramer right exactly yes <laughs> yeah, last time I talked to my friend Cyrano so here's what we need at 204-780-6868 a time that you smooth talked your way into a situation perhaps out of a situation or if you want to go the opposite direction a time that you talked your way you tried to talk yourself into a situation and it blew up in your face. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. I'm going to get right into this here because for months now, health officials and politicians have been promising the situation in our hospitals will get better. In some cases, depending on who you ask and depending on the numbers, it is getting better. So there are different ways to measure different things going on in our system. You might be looking at ER wait times, surgery wait times. You might have your own personal story. And over the past year, we've been sharing all sorts of different conversations on what the wait for care feels like for you and how often many of you are going to our emergency rooms or our urgent care facilities and then leaving without being seen. So leaving without being seen is another category that we look at. And numbers that we received this week show in 2018... Let's take a look at St. Boniface, for example. 4.5% of people sitting in an ER in St. Boniface left without being seen. Last year, that number tripled to 13% at St. Boniface's ER. At the city's largest hospital, Health Sciences Center, 9.4% left without being seen five years ago. Last year, that number ballooned to an average of 26.5%, Greg. So the number of people leaving without being seen is up at all of our hospitals and urgent care facilities like Concordia. Shared Health did not have a spokesperson available to speak to this today, but in a statement shared some of the strategies they've implemented to reduce the number of people leaving without being seen. Dr. Alan Katz is a family doctor and senior researcher at the Manitoba Centre for Health Policy. Dr. Katz, good morning. 
Good morning. So leaving without being seen, let's just start with that. How important is that data when it, it comes to understanding how things are going in our emergency departments at our urgent care facilities? Well, as uh, was just said, it's one of a series of measures we can use to determine what's happening in emergency rooms. It is uh, extremely concerning that people feel they need care, take themselves off to an emergency room uh, and find that they don't get the care they think they they need. Uh, But we need to look at it in context of a few other factors. Uh, How many of those people should have been seen outside of an emergency room or urgent care facilities? Uh, Did they need to be seen there or should they have been seen by a family doctor, for example? Um, that information is set is kept separately. It's not combined for us to know that, in fact, these people who were genuinely needing urgent care, genuinely needing emergency care, were not getting it when they needed it. So how do we know then, though, that data, Dr. Katz? Because it's not like if I go to the hospital and I'm say I'm there with my kid and the numbers were up for Children's Hospital as well, right across the board, the numbers are up. And then I decide I need to go because I'm not waiting 19 hours or 10 hours or five hours. How would they know that I left and found care somewhere else? How is that even data that's gathered? Well, the data that is gathered is whenever somebody comes into an emergency room, they go through a process called triage where they are given a score between one and four, depending on how urgent uh, the person doing the triage. And usually a highly trained nurse determines, you're having a heart attack, you need to go in right now, you're a, 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 a emergency triage score one, and that will happen. Uh, people who come in by ambulance after a, a motor vehicle crash and are in, in, street, in serious, serious problems, they get triaged and they get in before the rest of people who are triaged at a lower level of urgency who then end up waiting many hours because people coming after them get seen before because it's more urgent. So that data is available. Everybody who presents in an emergency room, those percentages uh, of, of people who leave without being seen have been triaged. And the vast majority of them are probably uh, scores three and four, which means this is not urgent. They can wait. Now, what we're seeing is a failure of our healthcare system in general, not just the emergency department. The reason we wait for a long time in emergency departments is because the emergency departments are overflowing with people who are waiting for hospital beds. The people in hospital aren't being discharged because home care services aren't available. People are coming to the emergency room with triage scores that are are higher, which means they're less urgent because they don't have access in a timely manner to their family doctors or nurse practitioners. So it's the whole system that that the emergency room is, provi- is giving us a, a single view of a failure of the system to provide Manitobans with the care they need. Now, in a statement, Shared Health said they've made changes to try to reduce the waits in ERs, including what you talked about, the physician in triage program, uh, that team that works to identify those the sickest people in the ER. But what else can be done to make things better? Well, you know, when we, when we try and understand our healthcare system, we, we, we have our own experience, but we also compare it uh, to healthcare in other countries, other jurisdictions. Um, Canadians use the emergency room far more than people in similar countries. Uh, 
And uh, th- that's become a habit that we've gotten used to over the years, that we've got a problem, so we go off to emergency, uh, which, is a, which is where the initial problem starts, that people who should be seen in the community by other sources of care are not using those sources of care. And that's partly because those sources of care aren't available. So I'm a family doctor. I can tell you that at a meeting uh, yesterday, our clinic said, when is the next available appointment? Two days, two weeks. When's the next available long appointment at our clinic? Four weeks. Well, that's too long. Somebody who has a, a problem is in pain or has a fever and wants to be seen quicker than that shouldn't need to wait two weeks for an appointment. So our system hasn't kept up with the need in the community. As a result, we go to emergency. Where could we be going? Sorry, Dr. Dr. Katz. Sorry. Go ahead, Loren. No, I'm just trying to figure it's sort of a self-perpetuating prophecy then that we have maybe 30 seconds, Dr. Katz. So what do we do? You're telling me I go to a family doctor. It might be a two-week wait, maybe four-week wait, depending on it. I go to my ER because that's my next hope or my urgent care. Now I sit there for too long and I leave without being seen. So then we know they're working on retaining more people. But where else could I be going in the meantime if my wait's that long? Uh, Well, we in the medical profession uh, and in healthcare need to fix this, not necessarily you. I agree. You need care if when you need it, uh, when you decide that you you can no longer cope with whatever symptoms you have. So our job is to provide more virtual care. There's a solution that was developed in Australia where emergency rooms provide emergency care for urgent cases, not the extreme heart attacks, very severe cases, but other cases they provide virtual care. So you can go online, you can make an appointment, you can have a virtual visit, it's quick, it's determined when you're best seen, and if you need to be seen in an emergency, you'll get a time to come to emergency, and you won't have to wait 19 hours, because you'll be told, you'll be seen between four and five. That way, um, you don't have to wait as long, the emergency room can know what's coming to some extent, or the urgent care center, and everybody gets a much better service, both in terms of the staff being feeling overwhelmed and the patients getting the care they need quicker. So there are things that can be done. It just takes the will and the planning to put them into place. Dr. Alan Katz, family doctor and senior researcher at the Manitoba Center for Health Policy. Thank you very much for joining us, sir. We appreciate it. You're welcome. It is Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. We have... The Wednesday Jets commentary with Paul Edmonds coming up at 7.55. Cameron Poitras has your keys to the game coming up just after 8.10 with the Jets back on the ice tonight. And then at 8.35, Leah Hextall joins us with our weekly Wednesday Jets chat. But right now we want to speak with somebody whose name you may recognize doing something special to raise awareness for something you may have never heard of. Our guest is an award-winning financial advisor, philanthropist, and for this conversation, I would say, most importantly, a dad. Rob Tatro is the co-founder of the Canadian CMV Foundation, along with his wife, Michelle. Rob joins us this morning. Rob, great to see you. Good morning. Oh, thank you so much for having me in studio, guys. So I said in this introduction just a moment ago that for the context of this discussion, your role as dad is what it's all about is that fair to say? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's how it all started. My uh, my son was born with a congenital birth defect, congenital disease, uh, almost 15 years ago. And it kind of started my wife and I down this path of raising awareness, raising funds, and effectively creating a national charity with a, a vision and a mission to eradicate the number one cause of infant disability. And that's what started all, me being a dad. And here I am, uh, 14 years later, running across Manitoba. So let's talk about the diagnosis in your son, because I, I don't know what the story was for you, but I'm wondering if when you were told he had congenital cytomegalovirus, and I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that oh, right, you Rob. You nailed it. You nailed it. it. Did you even know? Had you heard about that? Or was it just the whole thing a complete shock? Tell us about the diagnosis and what you've since come to learn about um, what he's living with. So we had never heard about it, much like 90-some percent of Canadians who never heard about it. We didn't know what to expect. We were going through, you know, a couple months at the hospital, treatments, you know, specialists, meetings. And we just, uh, one particularly tough day, I looked at my wife and we made each other a promise. We said, status quo is, is unacceptable. We, we have to change something. This is, this is not how kids should be. And this is not how parents, this is like, it's not what we should be going through. So like, not, we, we've been the luckiest parents ever. Our son is doing fantastic. He was caught, identified, treated, and had a phenomenal outcome. It's not about him, right? It's not about my son. He was kind of the catalyst that got us all going. But we know that 90 plus percent of these CMV positive babies in Manitoba and North America are currently not being identified. If they're not being identified, they can't be treated. If they can't be treated, they can't have a better outcome. That's an expensive burden on us as taxpayers. Perhaps significantly more importantly, these kids are going to have a much worse outcome and these parents have to deal with that. So it's a family issue. It's a tax issue. It's, it's an individual health issue. And we are choosing not to identify these kids. So I'm pushing for universal screening. What, what are the potential outcomes if this isn't screened, if this isn't caught? What, what, are, the, what are the health issues well, that can come out of CMB? It's pretty bad. I mean, loss of vision, loss of hearing. It's the number one cause of non-genetic hearing loss. Uh, there's, there's organ failure. There's uh, con- co- uh, cognitive delays and, and defects and gross motor skills. And th- it's a very long list. Now, it is brain damage. So every kid is going to be impacted differently. But um, it's not something I want. Knowing that we can identify these kids and we're choosing not to do anything about it really ups- upsets me. Like we pushed hard at CMV Canada. So I'm, I'm the president of CMV Canada. We pushed hard to get universal screening in Ontario and we got it done. We pushed hard to get it done in Saskatchewan. We got it done. And for some reason, it's just not taking hold here in my own home province where the charity started, where we first got a targeted screening protocol like six years ago. So we've had some progress, but this one for some reason is is not getting passed, even though it, it's happening in Minnesota, it's happening in Saskatchewan, it's happening in Ontario. So I decided uh, at the last International Congress for CMB, I said, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to run across Manitoba. I'm going to bridge the gap from Saskatchewan, where they currently testing every baby for your CMV to Ontario, where they are as well. So think of a baby born in you know Saskatoon or Kenora having a much better outcome just because they weren't born in Manitoba. It's upsetting to me. And we know the stats are clear. We know the percentage. We know, we know there's five to 10 babies every year in Manitoba that are going to be impacted by this, and we're choosing not to identify them. Our guest is Rob Tatro. He is the co-founder of the Canadian CMV Foundation. And you mentioned that you're running from Saskatchewan to Ontario. So just tell us about the logistics. What is the run with Rob? How's this going to work? Okay, so uh, Terry Fox is a bit of my idol, and I've made some big changes in my life over the last couple of years. And, you know, I lost, I don't know, 65 pounds, and I've focused on running, and I've realized how much joy it brings me and how it allows me to just have time to myself 
no phone, no emails, no, no one. It's just me and the, 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 the road. And I love that about it. So I started running more and more and more. And I always wanted to kind of run across Canada, but I never thought it'd be possible. Like here I was this overweight guy who had a job and four kids and a busy business and charity. And anyways, and then I was at the CMV conference and I was so inspired by all these doctors and these parents and these volunteers. And I was just like, I, I'm going to do something. I was so inspired. I kind of announced it to the group that night. I was with the executive group. And I said, I'm going to run across Manitoba, guys. And like, ha ha, yeah, okay. And I was like, no, no, I'm going to do it. So I came back to the office. I started looking. So I, have, I thank goodness I have a phenomenal staff in my job. So they're all on board. They're helping me out. So we're Terry Foxing it. So that means a couple motorhomes. That means, you know, a crew of a big crew of volunteers. I mean, that means a fun atmosphere. I'm going to take everyone out for, for lunch or dinner afterwards. I'm doing one at 8 a.m. I'm doing two half marathons per day, everyone. So that's a, a 8 a.m. half marathon, a 4 p.m. half marathon. And I'm asking people to come run with me. Hence the name Run With Rob. Like, I want to run with Brett. I want to run with Gary. I want to run with whoever out there uh, wants to run with me. And it's going to be a, f- a fantastic atmosphere. So maybe you've run before in your life and maybe you're like, I can do this, but maybe you haven't. And you're just like, oh, I I need something to inspire me. I'm hoping that you can get inspired, whether you know me or not. I'm hoping you can kind of circle a date on your calendar, register, and then come run. So ideally, you're able to run. If you're not able to run for whatever reason, bad knees or whatever, I need you to sign the petition. Go online. The petition calls for universal screening in Manitoba for all newborn babies. And like, that's an easy one. That's a no-brainer. It's cost-effective. It's been proven by a study, Canadian study, proven that it's cost-effective, proven that we can identify, proven that the treatment works, proven that the parents wants it. There are no excuses anymore. And then I'm also asking for sponsors and donors. So sign the petition, run with me, sponsors, donor, uh, donors, I guess, and volunteers is what I'm looking for. I can tell you, Brett, I don't want to speak for Brett. Brett's probably not not going to run with you per se. We're joking around about running, but but we, we can run with this idea because I think we all support raising awareness around this, Rob. And you just sort of summed it all up for us, this idea that CMV is something that can be detected at birth. The earlier you detect it, the better outcomes you can have for kids. So you're running to raise awareness May 12th to 24th. Maybe we will run with you. Who knows? Maybe we could get going by May. But I'm, I'm curious, what is, the, what is the reason behind the no in Manitoba for this? Have you had that told to you specifically? Or are you just getting more of that, oh, we're looking into it? Like, what is the reason why Manitoba is saying they won't do this automatic screening for cytomegalovirus I believe infants? it's I believe it's political, and I believe it's because it was a bill brought by... So uh, Premier Salinger is the one that brought the targeted screening bill like six years ago. He was my MLA. And he, he brought this forward because, you know, I, he believed in it. And then it ended up being an amendment to that bill. So Bill 214 is now in front of the Manitoba legislature. It's, an, a bill, it's a, a universal hearing screening amendment act that's been brought forward by the NDP. And uh, they've been very much big believers in this. And uh, I believe it's political because I, I, the MLAs that I've spoken to, the conservatives that I know, they've all told me informally or off the record, we believe in this, Rob, and we want to get it passed. And yet nobody's... You know, they don't own the bill, so now they're choosing not to do it. They read it down, I believe, twice without voting on it. So it's incredibly frustrating. I don't care who passes this bill. You want credit for it? Take it. I really couldn't care less. I'm a father that's trying to get this passed so that we can save the lives of babies. I'm sick and tired of of people putting their own personal political agendas ahead of the lives of young kids. And that has to stop. And they won't even reply to my emails. They won't even chat with me. We've had one meeting with the deputy minister, assistant deputy minister, who was all for it. 
And like, this is probably the bigger story than like, it's the fact that they're not, they're choosing not to do it even with all this information. And you're a financial guy. So you, yeah. you, you, you're an expert on return on investment. Yeah. What's the return on investment here? What's the, do you know the cost yeah. of the test? So, so yeah, Dr. Soren Gant, a Canadian and his group is out of the University of BC. They published a story in the pediatric journals proving that I think you were gaining $3 for every test that you were doing. So it's a $10 cost roughly. So you were, you were net positive $3 for every test that you gave to a newborn baby. And that was not factoring in the, um, the, uh, quality of life loss. So, you know, if, if someone loses a, the, the ability to walk or, or see or hear, there's a value in the U.S. that they assign to that. This study didn't even assign values to that because it is incredibly expensive to put a, a deaf child through our healthcare system and our, and our education system, right? We're talking millions of dollars or, or it can be millions of dollars over the course of that child's life. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a finance guy and that really upsets me. Run with, run Rob. with Rob. I think we have to run with him, Brett. I think we're going to have to Who's going to run? Who's going to run with He's, me? You're so passionate, Rob. We really appreciate it. Brett, maybe like a 100-meter dash? That's a, like, I, I think I can probably get away with that. <laughs> Running isn't really my thing. I'll, I'll walk, though. So how do we register? If we want to sign up, we want to pick a leg to join you, how do we do it? Go to www.runwithrob.com. Right on the homepage, yeah, there's four calls to action. You could pick your leg today. You could pick, you know, the... The, the the Saskatchewan starter, the Ontario end, you could pick the aces, you could pick, you know, the there's 24 legs on there, the Marco, the, the Ninjago, they're all named and they're all like 21.1 kilometers from east, from west to east. And you go online, you register right there. I'm going to ask everyone registers to raise a bit of money or, or to share it on their social media because we are trying to promote awareness. If you want to volunteer, awesome. We need volunteers. Sign the petition. If you're a business owner in Manitoba, you're so generous all the time. Please get behind this cause. We'll give you a ton of visibility. And finally, just donate if you can't do any of the other things. We're trying to get 506 Manitobans to donate at least 50 bucks to be on the wall of 506. So I'm, I'm thankful for any of that. And I'm thankful for you guys here today, CGOB, for getting me on the air. May 12th to May 24th, runwithrob.com is the website. Rob Tatro is the co-founder of the Canadian CMV Foundation. Rob, thank you very much for this. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Our question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. A UK and an American study found lots of benefits to a four-day work week. What are your latest feelings on this idea? 53% say I'm all for it and always have been. 34% say I'm still against it. 13% say, I was once skeptical, but I'm coming around to it. So you can cast your vote at cjob.com. That 34% saying I'm still against it, uh, that one that one puzzles me. I realize that it's it just simply will not work in every single industry, and I get that. But for the ones where it can work, what, 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 like, what is it? Why does that bother you? Well, we're lazy. Ask, Makes us lazy. Oh, I don't know. I, I'll re-ask <laughs> the question I asked a couple of hours ago. Is that just people that, that don't want to see it work for other people? You know, because be. very quickly we got that text message about, you know, public sector workers and, uh, you know, should we be asking for some of our money back? Will they be productive enough and how do we justify that? Well, the study just says quite clearly that productivity did not suffer. In fact, turnover was reduced massively, and you cannot underestimate 
the value of keeping people in place. It's extremely expensive to recruit new people, to hire them, to train them, and then to see them walk out of the door because you're not competing either on the financial uh, side or on the work environment side. You know, you have to be smart about these things. These investments in human resources, they're they're not costs. As soon as we we wrap our head around the fact that that they're investments and this is this is a big part of your business model, Loren, I think the the, the quicker people will see the benefit of treating people the best that we can. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, it it's about just what you said. So if I go to my boss and say I need more money, you know, I need, I need a raise. I'm, I'm struggling here. And they say, we can't do that. Well, then what other ways can you make work better for one of your employees? This might be the thing. You know what? I can reduce your hours, but keep your pay the same. Just promise me that, you know, the productivity stays high. Boom. Or you add vacation time or you do other things. If they can't give you more money, what else can be done? This might be the way. We had someone in construction say, could not work. They need, they need the five days a week. I don't know anything about that industry. There, there, there are places where for sure you're going to want to go hard and, and have that five-day week. But there's a ton of spaces where four days would be fine. Feel free to continue to win. Brett. What's that? You take a four-day. You take a four-day. Uh, yeah, of course I would. Uh, 204-780-6868. Continue to weigh in. And after Global News at 9 o'clock, it's our monthly visit with our friends at RRC Polytech. And then we're going to give away some tickets to see the Winnipeg Jets. Keep telling us about times that you smooth talked your way into or out of a situation. We'll pick that winner at 9.15. If you're thinking it's time for a career change, or maybe you got a kid who's trying to figure out just what they want to do after they graduate, then our next guest might have some suggestions for you. Yeah, I think there's probably a lot of people in that category. And so Clint Thiessen is a student recruitment officer at Red River College Polytech. And today... It's hosting its first in-person open house since 2020. So you have a chance. If you think you could be a potential student at the college, you can head on down and see what's available. We say good morning to Clint. How's it going? Good morning. I'm doing well. Doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm curious, before we get into what's going on today, given your title, how often do you have parents coming to you saying, Clint, help me out. Got a kid at home that's not really sure where to go with life. Do you get that? You know, I get that actually quite often. I get it in the most random places as well, um, where it's like, hey, I'm, you know, you know, so-and-so, and and I'm a friend of theirs, and my son or my daughter was interested. uh, You know, can you help? I'm like, absolutely, always here to help. Uh, It's funny, I have uh, three kids. My uh, kids don't really know what a recruitment officer is, so uh, they know that my job is to help people, and so that's that's the way I sell it. Well, I'm in that boat, Clint. Uh, I've got uh, two boys. I've got twin boys graduating from high school in about 17 months from now. And so we're on the lookout. We're on the search for what's next. So tell us, uh, is it worth my while to head to RRC today? Absolutely. So at both our Notre Dame campus and our Exchange District campus here at RRC Polytech, we are hosting Open Doors. So it is uh, our first open, uh, open Doors event since, of course, the pandemic. So we're excited about having uh, people back on campus to learn more about the many different options that we have here at the college. Um, yeah, so the event uh, is, like I said, taking place at both the Notre Dame campus and our Exchange District campus. It runs from 9 a.m. until 2 p.m. 
And then again in the evening from 5 p.m. until 8 p.m. Clint, I ask you this question. As a Red River grad, class of 2004, creative communications. And I, but I, I'm curious to know if things have changed, and hopefully they have, because in the 90s, you know, I graduated high school in 1995, so in the early to mid-90s, there, was, there seemed to be two schools of thought that if you were so-called book smart, you went to university, and if not so book smart, you'd go to Red River and look for a trade. And that at the time was kind of what I thought. And I later learned, well, that seems like a, especially after going through the school, it seems like an unfair perception. Is there any lingering hint of that perception or has that gone the way of the dodo? I would say that there's still a little bit of that, but I think that a lot of students find, you know, I think one of the big challenges for especially high school students is you're in high school, like, like your boys, and they're trying to make these decisions. And, uh, a lot of their friends maybe are going to university or uh, or working for a year, whatever it is. And I think a lot of the time it's the influence around them that uh, kind of speaks those things into into reality for them. So we like to encourage people to to come check us out. We actually see a lot of our students coming to us a little bit later on in life. Uh, they might be 19 or 20. They've worked for a year or they've gone, um, tried university. It wasn't for them. So they're coming to us in that way. Or, you know, maybe they've been working and they're like, I do not want to do that for the rest of my life. I need to find something else. So that's when we see them coming to the college and, and taking a program with us. I'm wondering how often you have people, Clint, because so you can go down today, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. or 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. at both campuses, either Notre Dame or the Exchange District. And, and you can figure out not just, you know, the programs that are out there, but you, you get to walk through the classrooms, right? You get to see the different tools and technology that might be at play. Because I think seeing that, I'm wondering if that actually just changes people. They might be mid-tour and be like, oh, wow, like this is actually looks way cooler. I'm, I'm turning into this classroom and this is where I want to be in September. Absolutely, yeah. So here uh, today at the Notre Dame campus, we have 13 different program-specific tours. And at the Exchange District, we have four different um, specific tours. So we definitely encourage people to come uh, check things out. Yeah, when you're going on that tour and you're walking around, you're actually seeing the equipment, you're seeing the tools, you're chatting with the instructors. Um, it usually opens up some, you know, some opportunities where students are like, wow, I did not know that this was an option for me. Uh, and they see the validity behind it of like coming here for two years or less, or sometimes a little bit more depending on the program, uh, but getting the education they need in order to be able to be successful out in industry, seeing how employers are seeking out our grads uh, and, and employers, I mean, are begging for grads right now, right? The economy, the way things are at. Uh, so if people are looking for a good career change. Uh, this is definitely a great way to, to get the education you need in order to be able to get out uh, back into industry. Clint, back in my day, it felt as though I was sort of on my own when it came to my post-secondary education, choosing the program that I wanted to take. Would there be jobs available? What was the job market even like? That information didn't seem to be readily available. Whether it was or not doesn't really matter. But right now, that's a big part of the, if I may call it the recruitment process, is that you have that information to share with prospective students. Absolutely. So this past fall, we actually launched a new tool online. It's called Program Explorer. And within that tool, we've posted all of our graduate success. Uh, You can also see some of the careers that you would find if you completed that program with us. 
Uh, and if you come to the event, we have academic advisors at both our Notre Dame campus and Exchange District campus here to chat with students uh, about those kinds of things. If they have questions about admission requirements or, you know, if I take this program, what kind of career would this lead me uh, to? Uh, we can help answer all those questions. We also have um, folks at both locations there to help you with filling out your application. If you have questions around that, what that looks like, we want to be able to, to support you. And I, I have to say this. Um, we just interviewed over 150 students for ambassador positions. So they're the students that are actually taking people on the tours. And time and time again, when I said, what is it, you know, kind of that drew you to RSD Polytech or, or what has helped you be successful so far? And they've all said it's the support services that they get when they're here at the college. And so uh, in the North Gym at our Notre Dame campus, we have all of our support services there as well. They're very willing to chat with people about how we can help uh, their time with us be, be a success. Clint Eason, Student Recruitment Officer at RRC Polytech, talking about Open Doors, the open house event happening today until 2 p.m. and then again 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. at both the Notre Dame and Exchange District campuses. Clint, thank you very much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Just a quick plug. Uh, we encourage people to visit us at rrc.ca slash open doors to find more information on the event. Mackling McGarry McNabb, we got tickets for the Jets game on Tuesday against the Kings. We're asking you about a time that you smooth talked your way into something or out of something or perhaps the reverse time where you tried to smooth talk and it failed. What does Mark say, Mackling? Mark has a kind of a story that uh, rang uh, and, and grabbed a piece of my heart here. In regards to the story of smooth talk in my 20s, I was a bartender. And while working at a country club, I served a CFL golf tournament. And in doing so, I met a number of the players. I continued to remember the drinks and names being that I am a big fan of the CFL. And by the end of the evening, I was able to invite myself to the CFL Hall of Fame Gala Dinner. I got two tickets and sat at one of the team tables and party with the legends of the game that night. Bonus part of the story, it just so happens I brought a girl on our second date and she is now my wife. Fantastic, Mark. As always, it's difficult to choose one winner. There's always a host of runners-up like Ed, another runner-up, who says, okay, don't judge. Back in the day, before picture ID on the driver's license, I borrowed my buddy's ID to go to the liquor store. I memorized his birth date, his address, even his Zodiac sign, just in case they asked. So I went in with all the confidence in the world. I strolled up to the counter, vodka in hand, and plunked it down. Sure enough, guy says, ID. I proceed to give him my buddy's ID, his well-rehearsed driver's license. He looked at me and asked all the normal questions, which I was successful in answering. Thinking the interrogation was done, he said, sign, please. I hadn't practiced my buddy's signature on his license, so I signed a piece of paper for him. He looked at for what seemed forever, so I said, it might look a little off, because my arm was in a cast at the time and I had to use my left hand. He looked back at me and said with a smile, you spelled your name wrong. <laughs> so needless to say, I left without anything to put in. This, I think, was the kicker for me. <laughs> I left without anything to put in my beep that night. That's a classy drink. Or vodka and beep. Yeah, maybe what? the ML. What's beep? 
I beep the, uh, the, the the concophony of uh, several uh, juices, Loren, uh, brought to you by your friendly neighborhood milkman back in the day. <laughs> like it's an actual drink or it's more like... No, it's an actual drink. Water. Oh, no, like, it's an actual it drink. It's called Beep. Oh, okay. It's got pictures of chickens and birds on the package <laughs> yeah. and everything. They still sell it in Nova Scotia for sure. Uh, the MLCC guy just should have asked, what are you mixing with this vodka, young man? And if he would have said Beep, see you later, <laughs> get alligator. Out, get out of here. You're <laughs> underage. Oh, that's good. But but Loren, Bob Clark is our winner. Okay, so Bob's story goes back to 1985, the Yellowhead Arena, Nipua Christmas break. I'm back from university and went to watch buddies play for the senior hockey team on a Friday night. I didn't have $5 to get in the game, but Shane Natty, who's an ex-NHLer's mother, Diane, was working the booth and she let me in. We both went to the same church, I knew her quite well, and had coached Shane in baseball. As I went by, the 50-50 board I saw... I borrowed $2 from a buddy for a square on the board. Right after that, the coach, Tubby Cathart, came down, of the, what's now known as the Nipawa Titans, came down the dressing room stairs, was looking for guys to play because they're short. So then I said, yes, we had lockers at the rink, so easy to get my stuff. Halfway through the third period while he's playing, they announced the winners of the 50-50, and I won over 200 bucks. After the game, I was heading out the front door, locked eyes with Shane's mom. Without a word, I slipped the $5 in her hand because she would have heard that I won the jackpot. We both laughed out loud. She said, way to be a good Christian kid. I went from almost not getting into the rink to winning third star. <laughs> and most importantly, I paid my bill. We got to play. He won the 50-50 and he paid, paid back his debt. He made more money than most of the guys playing regularly right. for that team. That's right. <laughs> Bob, way to go. You're going to see the Jets on Tuesday when they take on the Los Angeles Kings. Before we say hello to our next guest, just got to read an update here from our contest winner. We gave away tickets for the Winnipeg Jets on Tuesday against Los Angeles. And we were asking you to tell us a story about smooth talking your way into something. And Bob went back to 1985 to Yellowhead Arena in Nipawa. Didn't have the five bucks to get into the hockey game, so he managed to smooth talk his way in. And then while he was there, he borrowed two bucks for the 50-50. And then he ended up playing in the game because the team was short. He was third named third star. He won the 50-50 over 200 bucks. Well, he says, hey, one of the guys who was there that night and now works for uh, Winnipeg MTS just called me. He was the guy who gave me the 50-50 money. So guess no. who I'm taking to the Jets <laughs> game? <laughs> Fantastic. Calling in in, right? I love Manitoba. <laughs> what are we, 40 years later on that one? Coming back for the, uh, no, 30? 38? I can't do the math. 38 years? Yeah. That's unbelievable. Uh, what is the odds of the timing of him listening in at the exact time to read that story and also having the... <laughs> Well, I'll just say he deserves it to call and get those tickets. Well, three years ago or thereabouts, I, I made that comment about my friend Todd from grade four, whose mom uh, brought him hot dogs in the thermos, and we were doing a science pre- project, et cetera, et cetera. I think I called him the B word on, on the air. I hadn't spoken to Todd since we were in grade five. 
His co-worker heard that, and Todd reached out to me and said, I hear you're talking trash about me, Macklin. (laughs) (laughs) So that's just the way it works in this town. We're so fortunate not only to work in this realm, but to uh, connect people and to to be connected with uh, one another. The way you guys connect with us is is really a gift. I know you say that all the time, Brett, but wow, what a great story. (laughs) Bob, way to go. Thanks for sharing that update with us. That's fantastic, and that's the kind of thing that'll make our day. As someone looking to make some healthier choices with my diet, and as someone who I told yesterday I had a tough time getting out of bed on the weekend because my back and my hips are sore from a stupid golf injury. So when someone comes along and says, hey, have you heard of the anti-inflammatory diet, a.k.a. the Mediterranean diet? Oh, and by the way, it doesn't suck. You have my attention. So let's welcome... Without further ado, Andrea Cates is with Best You Nutrition. Andrea, great to speak with you as always. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me on today. So I know a little bit about this diet because my my baby sister says that this diet is incredible for helping control her MS, which has really invaded her life. But talk about the Mediterranean diet. That's so great to hear. Um, and you know what? It's, it's honestly probably one of the best ways for our overall health to be eating. Um, but it has inflammation has been tied to almost every chronic pain and chronic disease that is out there. And so reducing our body's inflammation is super important. Um, and so this diet has been researched and looked at um, from numerous medical communities and has been time and time again shown to be the best way for us to eat for overall health and reduction of both chronic pain and chronic disease. And it tastes really good. And that's the piece that I think is exciting too. I am going to confess, sorry, I just put my mic down because I have been Googling Mediterranean (laughs) recipes for about two hours now when I saw this on the rundown. And so if you're just giving a snapshot for folks, before we get into sort of the benefits, give me the top three, four, five dishes that you might include in your diet if you're saying I'm going to go down this road, Andrea. Okay, so definitely the big piece of where it all bases from is is a vegetarian or not vegetarian diet but a lot of fruits and vegetables into our diet so we're talking seven to nine servings every single day of fruits and vegetables now the average north american only gets one and if you took fast food burgers out of the equation they would actually get zero because they're including that lettuce tomato onion and pickle as one serving so that's a huge jump from what most people are already doing. Um, and really, it's sort of building your plate now instead of, you know, mostly meat and potatoes. It's now two thirds at least um, of fruits and vegetables at every single meal. And so there's, there's, you have to get creative because you, and not everybody wants to just eat salad. You don't always want to just eat broccoli, right? But there's so many different vegetarian options that you can do, whether it be in slow cookers or having a big thing of roasted vegetables or some, um, you know, different, different options that you can do to make sure that you don't feel like you're always eating the same thing. Yeah, pre-pandemic, uh, I was fairly disciplined with my diet. I, I mean, I would have a big boring salad for dinner every day, and it wasn't always fun, but uh, I felt way better. I, I'd lost weight, and I will admit that since the pandemic started, everything just feels kind of broken down because I've made some really poor dietary decisions over the last three years. So with this one, and as somebody who really do- kind of needs to buckle down and make some changes, um, how does this diet work in reducing inflammation? So what it does is it sort of takes foods 
or reduces foods that we that are causing inflammation. So um, meat, for example, is going to increase our body's inflammation if we're eating it too much. So we only want to be eating about two to three times a week to have some sort of animal product. Okay, so that's a, another huge change for most people. Two to three times a week, not two to three times a day, right? And so that's one piece. So we're taking certain foods out or reducing certain foods that are going to cause that inflammation. And what happens is when we put in all these other healthier anti-inflammatory foods, it reduces the inflammation throughout our entire body. So this is fruits, vegetables, beans, soy products, whole grains, healthy fats, lots of healthy fats. So healthy fats are things like avocado, um, high-fat Greek yogurt, nuts, seeds, olives, olive oil. And we want to be having about five to seven of those every single day. And again, that's something that most people just aren't doing. But when you stop and think about it and you start to think, okay, well, this is what I need to be eating every day. You're not going to be hungry with all of those foods. I mean, seven to nine servings of fruits and vegetables a day is a lot, right? Five to seven servings of of healthy fats is a lot. And that's just two pieces of the puzzle, right? We can also eat lots of fish and seafood. Um, so really kind of retraining our brain as to where we should be getting our food from and where we should be getting our calories from um, so that we can keep that inflammation nice and reduced and in turn have a longer, healthier life. So talk about this inflammation and, and why reducing it is such a key to our health, Andrea. Like, is it is it the sodium that's that's in 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 uh, our, our beef and, and chicken products? What what is the what is the ingredient or ingredients that are causing the issues that we're we're trying to reduce or, or, or almost eliminate? So it's not necessarily um, a particular thing that is causing the inflammation from an ingredient perspective, but it's just the overall um, course that it takes on our body. So um, it's a lot easier, for example, to digest fruits and vegetables than it is to digest meat. Okay, it's going to take your body a lot less energy, and so um, that's going to be helpful in reducing that inflammation. Um, and and really, it's I, I kind of think of it as you know, inflammation sometimes is really good when you know you you have a fall, you roll your ankle, all those you know the inflama- inflammatory cells are going to go to that ankle to help heal it. But what happens is when our body doesn't know when to turn that off and on and it stays on, then we sort of, it's kind of like being swollen. So there's, there's some physical things that you can see in a person that's inflamed. You can, if you start eating an anti-inflammatory diet, your, the, the scale number might not necessarily change, but your body composition is going to change because that sort of swelling or bloated feeling is just kind of going to be reduced. Um, and so we want to make sure that we're eating in a way that's going to reduce that because it. It's been tied, you know, just recently I read an article about it tied to Alzheimer's. So our cognitive decline is is something that is caused by, in part, by increased inflammation in our body. So really making sure that, you know, if we want to, I think everybody thinks about, you know, how they want to age and we want to be able to be physically mobile and we want to have our wits about ourselves. And, and there's a lot of different pieces of the puzzle that are going to make that happen. But the way that we eat, and especially when it comes to an anti-inflammatory way, is really important to make both of those things happen. You know, I I love the idea behind this, and we've been hearing this for a while. We've been hearing this for centuries in many cases, Andrea, you know, to look back to this diet that's kept so many people so healthy for so long. But some people out there listening right now, and, and I have to admit I'm in this camp somewhat, will think this sounds expensive, you know, because we, we will hear that eating healthier can sometimes cost us more, especially if I'm thinking of fresh vegetables that I now have to bring more into my home. What do you say to Mm -hmm. that? 
So, I mean, absolutely. I think that's an issue um, for everybody when we go to the grocery store. It's more expensive now than I think it's ever been and probably, you know, it's going to continue to go that way. So we need to be figuring out ways that we can sort of crack the code when it comes to getting our grocery bill in check. So one of the items that is um, really important in the anti-inflammatory diet is beans and legumes. And that's one to two servings every single day. I'm telling you right now, it's a heck of a lot cheaper to buy beans and legumes and it is to buy meat right so that's a huge cost savings right there um tofu products soy products that's another one that's a way cheaper to purchase than meat products and we want to be having those every single day so having those swaps first and foremost and then when it comes to fruits and vegetables you know i've often been asked you know is organic best do i have to be buying organic no i mean in an ideal situation yes it'd be great if everybody was eating organic fruits and vegetables and they were coming straight out of their garden but number one we're living in winnipeg we're not able to garden throughout the year and getting organic produce is sometimes very difficult to get and if we do get it it's really really expensive so the important piece is just getting it in so whether you're getting it in from fresh um in the in the fruits and vegetable aisle or you're getting it in in the frozen foods, that's okay too. Frozen are are really healthy because what happens is they're picked and then it's flash frozen. And so a lot of those nutrients are staying right in there. So if, if it's, you know, your concern is really about, well, I can't get seven or eight or nine servings of fruits and vegetables every day because it's too expensive. Well, go to the frozen food aisle. That's a heck of a lot cheaper to buy a bag of frozen peas or frozen corn or frozen something that you're going to enjoy and that you can get into your diet than it is to just get nothing. So we want to make sure that we get them in, but also in a way that is going to be okay for our bank account and for our health. So you're holding a workshop on this next month? I am. I'm holding an anti-inflammatory workshop on March 11th. It's on Zoom at 10 in the morning. Um, And so it's also going to be recorded so people can't make it that day. They can always get the replay. Um, And you can sign up for it on Eventbrite. And what do we look for when we go there? If you search Best You Nutrition, it'll come up. Or if you search Anti-Inflammatory Workshop, it will come up. So um, either way, it's an online event. So you wouldn't search under Winnipeg. So you'd look under the online events. And and either way, it'll come up. And it'll be really great. I'll give lots of information as to why this is super important, um, how to do it, how much of everything we actually need, and some really great recipe and snack ideas as well. So we can easily get started. Andrea Cates with Best You Nutrition. Thank you very much uh, for shining a light on this because I've been needing kind of a a nudge, so to speak. So this is going to help a lot uh, to get me back on a healthier path. We appreciate the time as always. Thank you so much. Have a great day, guys.